I want to start quickly with our gospel reading. going to be very familiar words for you. It's, it's kind of for me the start of Christmas, so I did pray for snow today to create the mood. So, so nice when the Lord hears our prayers. Um, but I'm going to read from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke writes, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age, or in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Lord, we thank you for your precious words. Help us, Lord, even when they are familiar, to be overwhelmed by them, to be staggered by them, and to live the adventure trying to understand and follow them in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to just start with a quick story. I've told it here before, so yes, it is a repeat, but um, it, it fits and it, it evolves when I was in grad, graduate school. I went down to Virginia. It was really my first experience to be with the global body of Christ. I had never known Jesus outside the Capital District. And I found that really people all over the world love Jesus. So that was good to know. And I met some people. I met this one guy who was the first radical disciple of Jesus I ever met. And what I mean by that is he was just consumed with Jesus. Okay? And whereas I had Jesus in a good box, and it was an important box, and it was the most important box, but he was still kind of there. And this guy, Jesus, was everything, and we became close friends. So part of his ministry was, I'm going to keep on breaking Mike's box. Okay, and I called him Tom the Baptist because he had these piercing blue eyes, this wild hair. He was, he was a crazy man. And so little things, like we'd go to the grocery store and we'd be checking out. And he'd say, Mike, tell this young lady why you love Jesus. I would say, oh, I don't want to do that, Tom. I just want to get bananas, you know. And then more seriously, he took me into the housing projects of Norfolk, Virginia and says, you can't follow Jesus in comfort. You've got to take him to places where it's hard. You've got to keep on breaking your comfort zone. I couldn't say no to him, so I went and learned about ministering in the projects. And one Friday, he said to me, hey, Mike, you doing anything tonight? And before I could think, I said no. <laughs> I, knew, I knew that was a mistake. He goes, hey, let's go to Virginia Beach. Let's go to the Strip and let's witness. I really did not want to do that on a Friday night, but there we were. And so we're witnessing on Atlantic, on Virginia Beach, and it's not going well, okay? And I'm really not having a good time. And all of a sudden, true, out of the dark, this, this guy springs from this alley, and he's crazy. And he is screaming at us. He's swearing at us. And Tom, ever cool, Tom the Baptist says, Brother Mike, he says, why don't, why don't you go and talk to that couple up the street and 
I'll take care of this. It was the first time I was ever glad to do what he said. <laughs> and so I went up, and so I come back, and I'm a little bit anxious because this was a bad scene. And when I came back, I'll never forget it, Tom was sitting on the steps of this building, and this man was laying on the steps, and he had his head on Tom's lap. And he was just stroking the man's hair. And after it was done, I said, Tom, what happened? That man was crazy. How could it end up like that? He looked at me and said, Brother Mike, don't you understand? He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And there were a lot of lessons right there, but one lesson I took is that there is always more happening than meets the eye. And following Jesus means looking beneath the surface of things. It means listening beyond the noise. It's the adventure of discovery and discovering and joining in the work that God is doing in the world. There's, there's always more than you can see, more than you can hear, more than you can feel. Shakespeare, who really got human nature, said this in Hamlet. There are more things in heaven and on earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Right? And that's exciting. But one of the, the main obstacles to discerning what God is doing is sometimes when you think you already know. There's no greater barrier to discovery than to think, I already know that, I already get that, right? Knowledge sometimes can cause us to fail to understand what is happening, right? There's a joke. I'm hesitant to tell a joke because Chris tells them so well, <laughs> but, but I'm going forward. It's a story about Sherlock Holmes and, and Watson, his sidekick. sidekick. They go out camping one night. Well, after a good dinner, they, they, they fall asleep, and several hours later, um, Sherlock Holmes wakes up, and he nudges Watson and gets him up. He says, Watson, look up and tell me what you see. And Watson replies, I see millions of stars. Holmes says, and what does that tell you? Watson ponders for a moment. He says, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I believe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. And meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Holmes? Holmes replies, Watson, you fool. It tells me someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> right? Okay. All right. Whew. Okay. So... Right? That you can have so much knowledge that you miss the most important thing, the most obvious thing of all. On a more serious note, this is the conversation Jesus has with the Pharisees in Matthew 16. And this is very serious and it speaks to us. It says the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him and asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And Jesus replies, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red in the morning. Today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. And what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, and hear him speaking to us, he goes, you know so much about God. You have dedicated your lives to studying God, and you know all these details about God, but you can't recognize him when he's standing next to you. The signs of the times. So for us, as we, we begin Thanksgiving week and the holiday season, today's scripture, the birth of Christ, we know it so well. Are we still looking? Are we still listening? 
Are we still learning and trying to live out the truth in our lives, or do we enter the season and say, I know that story. I know all there is to know. I mean, even yesterday I learned a little something about the story. I, I, I read that when, when Gabriel, the angel, goes to Zechariah, who is John the Baptist's father, and he gives him his word of greeting, he uses the Hebrew, shalom. When he goes to Mary, he uses the Greek, rejoice. What's the difference? That it's announcing that this is not just for the Jews. That Messiah who's coming will be for the Jews, but he will be for all the world. This is going to shatter all expectations of Messiah. This is for all people in all places at all times, right? The surface versus what is happening underneath. I mean, let's again, don't ever let this story be normal. Of all the places in the world, the angel goes to Nazareth. It, was a it wasn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. Nazareth. That's where it's going to happen. To a teenage virgin. And the evidence that God is moving is that a, a barren woman in her latter years is, is with child. That when the king of glory comes, he's homeless. He's a dependent baby sleeping in a manger, that when the angels are going to issue the greatest declaration that had ever been declared in the world, they go to a group of, group of obscure, outcast shepherds living outside the city. And they tell them, and they tell them, I got good news of great joy for all people. And speaking of all people, when Joseph and Mary and Jesus are in trouble, where do they go for refuge? They go to Egypt. I mean, Egypt. That was the place of bondage. No, it's being fulfilled. Egypt is now the refuge. It is the place of protection for God and the people of God, right? It's shattering expectations. There's so much there for us to discover. So following Jesus is the great adventure. He is always moving, always working, and we as his disciples get to try to, to see it and, and catch it and be moved by it, right? It's not predictable. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. See, the Pharisees had stagnated God. They had taken the wind out of God. He was a fixed thing to be understood. They had the law. They could memorize it. They could understand its every detail. They could dot every I and cross every T. And Jesus says, you can't fully understand God. He's always moving. He is, he is greater than that. He is not stagnant. He is not fixed. He is dynamic, moving and mounting and going and growing. Boy, that's my story at City Mission. I, I realized I can never get my arms around the place. And that, friends, is both exhausting and exhilarating. I'll give you an example. We have this nightly meal we call the community meal. It's served every night, 5.45, Saturdays at 3 o'clock. And it's the community, because anybody from the community can come. It can be challenging in there. And lately, it's been real challenging. There have been flare-ups. People have something going on out in the streets, and they end up at the meal at the same time. And things happen. So, it was brought to my attention, and I always want to make sure that as a church and as individuals who support the mission, I'm giving you an accurate description that it's this messy place 
that somehow by God's grace brings forth beautiful things and it suddenly hit me this week, you know what it is? It's a garden. I mean, think about any garden. Flower garden, vegetable garden. What is in a garden? It's got a bunch of stuff. It's got fertilizer. It's got manure. It's got pests. It's got dirt. It's got thorns and weeds. And, and yet what emerges from a garden that's well-tended Healthy, succulent vegetables and fruit and beautiful flowers that give off an aroma. When I say that these things are present, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the stuff of life, of mental illness and abuse and, and addiction and prejudice and injustice. It's all there. It's all there every day. And yet somehow by grace, like a garden, things emerge that are beautiful and delicious, and, and life-giving. Just this week, it was Thursday afternoon, and I had a quiet moment, and I was walking to my office, and I heard this blood-curdling scream in the driveway. Ah! Well, that'll get your attention. So I go downstairs, and a bunch of the staff, and there was a young guy. I've known him for years. He just lives on the streets. He's very troubled. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs, and there's two other guys there that are there to get him because he had threatened their sister and they're going to take care of business. And, and he is screaming. Never forget this in those moments. There's always a story. Glenn told something today. It's not just a girl running off the course. There's a story. If we want to follow Jesus, we've got to dare to learn the story, not just the event. And as I thought about this man, I thought, I don't think he's just screaming at the threat in that moment. I think he's screaming about his life. I think he's just screaming for what his life has always been and what is and what he believes always will be. It's interesting, because one of our counselors, after we got everybody separated and called them in, he said, why did you run to the mission? Because it took place out on the street. He said, do you feel safe here? And the man said, yes, I'm safe here. You know, I think we all need a safe place to go when the world makes us scream. But back to the community meal. It's, it's been disruptive. And one thing I've learned, and uh, this is the benefit of having Greg grow as a mentor and friend, you know, identify the leaders in your midst. Okay, folks coming up through your your program, your graduates, who are the leaders, invest in those leaders. And so I talked to one of our leaders, a guy who lived on the street, said, what's happening at this meal? Why, why, why are we seeing more and more flare-ups? He thought about it. He gave me an explanation. He says, Mike, you have people speak at the meal, don't you? I said, yeah. He goes, can I speak? Because I get their anger. I get their fear. I said, yeah, yeah. So we arrange for him to speak, and he speaks, and it's effective, and usually folks' heads are down during the devotion time, even though sometimes they're listening. All eyes riveted on him. Talked about what the holidays feel like when you've burned every bridge there is to burn, and you have no place to go for the holidays. People listened. He connected at their point of anger, but that wasn't even the story I want to tell. I also noticed that the meal and there's usually about 100 people at this meal, but there were many children there. And one of our graduates, our staff members, Jordan, he keeps a stack of books. 
And when a child comes, even in the midst of this frenetic, chaotic reality, he runs and gets them a book, and he gives them the book, and this beautiful little girl was reading the book, and so we sat down next to her, and boy, she read so beautifully, and, and, and Robin, one of our staff members who was with her, said, you read so beautifully. She says, um, how was school today? And the girl said, oh, it was a good day. They read my story at school. And Robin said, what's your story? And the little girl said, it's a story about a little girl who has to keep on moving. And the other kids in school make fun of her because she has holes in her shoes and holes in her clothes. And you realize in the moment, this is this girl's story. And in the moment, you discover God saying, this is the meal. It's not about how do you make it secure, although security is good. It's not about how you create order, although there needs to be order. Children come here. And friends, I've been there 27 years. I never saw this. And I realize that children come here who, who are broken by life and what God's calling us to do is make it a place that no matter what their day has been, no matter who's made fun of them, no matter how cold and dark it is to walk to City Mission for dinner, that we can make this place a place that's warm and light and loving. A place that never lets a light, night go by that we don't say to that little girl and the little boys and girls like her, you are beautiful. You are so precious. You are the beloved daughter of God. You are the beloved son of God. That's why I went to that meal. I never saw it. I was so focused on the bigger things of security and order and peacefulness. So dear friends, be careful of what you think you already know when it comes to the kingdom of God. It's always bigger. It's always greater than we understand. And embrace the adventure of discovery. See the fact that we don't know as the gift. Embrace it and discover what is there. God gives us little glimpses of what he is doing beneath the surface what he is doing beyond the noise. There was a note in one of our gifts this week, and I, it was clipped to the receipt as I signed it. And it said, to whom it may concern, thank you for your help a few years ago. It made a change in my son's life. And what was especially marveling to me is I didn't recognize the guy's name. I don't think he was there that long. I know he never graduated. But there was a thankful mother and a changed life. Something that grew out of that messy garden and it's still bearing fruit. So as we look ahead to Thanksgiving and this Christmas season, dare to look through what Christian author Ken Geyer calls the windows of the soul. Don't only see it with your physical eyes or your physical hearing or even your physical touch. Dare to see where God is in the midst of these things. And 
he writes this, but this is the whole point of Windows of the Soul. Always looking, always listening, always asking, what is here that I should receive? What is required of me at this moment? And how will I respond? Well, we thank you for this time of year. We thank you that the wonders of that first Christmas have been held for us, that we do have a written record, that we can know and memorize and embed the details of that first Christmas into our lives. Oh Lord, help us to never think we know or that we understand. You are so much greater. And even as we enter familiar ground, Help us to go wide-eyed, open-eared, and even more importantly, open-hearted to see what you are doing. Give us the eyes to see it, the ears to hear it, and the hearts to follow you in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.